Section 46 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ron Altman. The Old Settler by Ed Mott. I see by the papers, Squire, said the old settler, that there are findin' signs of coal isle and natural gas like sixty here and there in districts not so terrible fur from here, and that consequently land they used to beg folks to come and take off in their hands at any price at all is worth a dollar now just for a peep over the stone wall at it. The minute a feller finds signs of isle or natural gas on his plantation, he needn't lug home his supplies and a quart jug no more, but can roll em in by the barrel, for signs o' them kind is worth more an inch than a sartin per sure grass and tater farm is worth an acre. Guess you're hugging the truth pretty close for once, Major, replied the squire. But there ain't none of them signs as likely to strike anywhere in our bailiwick as lightning is to kill a crow roosting on the North Pole. There's one thing I've allus wanted to see, continued the squire, but nature has been agin me, and I hain't never seen it, and that thing is the hoistin' of a balloon. There can't be no balloons hoisted nowhere, I'm told, unless there's gas to hoist it with. I suppose if we'd ha had gas here, a good many fellers with balloons had a come round this way and showed us a balloon raisin' every now and then. Them must be lucky districts that's got gas, and I'd like to have somebody strike it round here summers, just for the sake o' having the chance to see a balloon heistin' fore I turn my toes up but that's about as liable to happen as it is for to go out and find the silver dollar rolling uphill and my name gouged in it. "'Don't ye be so concerned sure of that, squire,' said the old settler mysteriously, and with a knowing shake of his head. "'I've been a-thinking a little since reading about them signs o' gas, bagosh. I hain't been only thinking, but I've been a-recollectin'. And the chances is that me and you'll see wonders yet afore we paddle over Jordan. I'm a going to tell ye for why, but I hadn't order, Squire, and if it wa'n't for making ye ashamed of yourself and showin' that truth squashed in the mud is bound to get up again if ye give her time, I wouldn't do it. Ye might remember that just ten years ago this month I came in from a leetle bar hunt. I didn't bring in no bar. But I fotched back an up-and-up -up account o' how I had shot one, and how there were something fearful and queer and amazing in the performances o' that bar arter being shot. Maybe ye remember me a-tellin' you that story, Squire, and you a-tellin' me right in my teeth that ye knowed that some of your friends had took to lying, but that ye didn't think any of em had had it so bad as that. But I hain't a-holdin' no grudge. And now I'll tell you something that's going to surprise you. As I told you at the time, Squire, I got the tip ten year ago this month 
that unless somebody went up to Steve Groner's hill place and poured a pound or two of lead into a big bar that had squatted on the farm, that Steve wouldn't have no livestock left to provide pork and beef for his winter and over, even if he managed to keep himself and family theirselves from lining the bar's innards. I shouldered my gun and went up to Steve's to have some fun with brewing and to save Steve's stock and rescue him and his folks from the rampaging bar. He's a rip snorter, Steve says to me when I got there. He don't think nothing of lugging off a cow, he says, and you don't want to have your weather eyes shut when you and him comes together, he says. Bars, I says to Steve, bars is nuts for me. "'And the bigger and sassier they be,' I says, "'the more I enjoy em, I says. "'And with that, I climb into the woods to show Bruin "'that there want room enough here below for him and me both. "'Tain't necessary for me to tell of the half-dozen or more lively scrimmages "'me and that bar had as we followed and chased one another "'round and round them woods. "'How he'd hide behind some big tree or stumps. "'And as I went by, climb on to me with all four of his feet, and yank and bite and claw and dig meat and clothes off in me till I slung him off and made him skin away to save his bacon, and how I'd lay the same way for him, and when he come sneaking long arter me again, pitch arter him like a mad painter, and swat and pound and choke and wrestle him till his tongue hung out, till I was sorry for him, and let him get away into the brush again to recuperate for the next round. Tain't worth while for me to say anything about them little scrimmages, except the last un, and that un want a scrimmage, but something that had skirt some folks dead in their tracks. Arter having a half dozen or so of rassles with this big bar just for fun, I made up my mind as twere getting late, and as Steve Groner's folks was maybe feeling anxious to hear what was going to run the farm, them or the bar, that the next heat with brewing would be for keeps. I guess the old feller'd made up his mind the same way, for when I run agin him the last time, he were riz up on his hind legs right on the edge of Deep Rock Gully, and were waiting for me with his jaws wide open. I unslung my gun, and taking aim at one of the bar's forepaws, thought I'd wing him and make him come away from the edge of the gully for I tackled him. The ball hit the paw, and the bar throwed em both up, but he throwed em up too fur, and he fell over backward and went head foremost into the gully. A deep rock gully ain't an inch less than fifty foot from top to bottom, and the walls is as steep as the side of a house. I went up to the edge and looked over. There were the bar lying on his face at the bottom, where them queer cracks is in the ground, and he were a howling like a hurricane and kicking like a mule. There he laid, and he wa'n't able to rise up. There wa'n't no way of getting down to him except by tumbling down as he had, and if ever anybody were popping mad, I were, as I see my meat a-laying at the bottom of that gully and the crows a-gathering to have a picnic with it. The more I kept my eyes on that bar, the madder I got, and I were just about to roll and tumble and slide down the side of that gully, rather than go back home and say that I'd let the crows steal a bar away from me. 
when I see a funny change coming over the bar. He didn't howl so much, and his kicks weren't so vicious. Then his hind parts began to lift themselves up off on the ground in a curious sort of way, and swung and bobbed in the air. They kept raising higher and higher, till the bar were actually standing on his head, and swaying to and fro as if a wind were blowing, and he couldn't help it. The sight was so uncommon out of the regular way bars has a actin' that it seemed scary, and I felt as if I'd rather be home digging my taters. But I kept on gazing at the bar a circusin' at the bottom of the gully, and twant long for the whole big carcass begun to rise right up off in the ground, and come a floatin' up out in the gully, for all the world as if it twant more'n a feather. The bar come upwards tail foremost, and I noticed that he looked considerable puffed out like, making him seem like a barrel sailing in the air. As the bar came a floating out of the depths, I could feel my eyes begin to bulge, and my knees to shake like a jumping jacks. But I couldn't move no more in a stun wall kin, and there I stood on the edge of the gully, staring at the bar as it sailed on up toward me. The bar were making a desperate effort to get itself back to its natural position on all fours, but there want no use, and up he sailed tail foremost, and looking as if he were going to bust the next minute he were swelled out so. As the bar bobbed up and passed by me, I could have reached out and grabbed him by the paw, and I think he wanted me to the way he acted, but I couldn't have made a move to stop him, not if he'd have been my grandmother. The bar sailed on above me, and there were a look in his eyes that I won't never forget. It was a skirt look, and a look that seemed to say that it were all my fault, and that I'd be sorry for it sometime. The bar squirmed and struggled again coming to such an unheard on end, but upward he went tail foremost toward the clouds. I stood there paralyzed while the bar went upward. The crows that had been settling round in the trees, spectin' to have a bully meal, went to flyin' and scootin' around the unfortunate bar, and yelled till I were durn nigh deep. It wa'n't till the bar had floated up nigh onto a hundred yards in the air, and begun lookin' like a flyin' cub, that my senses came back to me. Quick as a flash, I rammed a load into my rifle, wrappin' the ball with a big piece of dry linen, not having time to tear it to the right size. Then I took aim and let her go. Fast as the ball went, I could see that the linen round it had been sot on fire by the powder. The ball overtook the bar and bored a hole in his side. Then the funniest thing of all happened. A streak of fire a yard long shot out of the bar's side where the bullet had gone in and as long as that poor bewitched bar were in sight, for of course I thought at the time that the bar were bewitched, I could see that streak of fire sailing along in the sky till it went out at last like a shooting star. I never knowed what become o' the bar, and the whole thing were a startling mystery to me, but I come home, squire, and told you the story just as I've told you now. And ye were so darn polite that ye said I were a liar. But since I've been a thinkin' and recollectin', Squire, 
I don't hold no grudge. The mystery is plain as day now. We don't want no better signs of gas than that, do we, squire? Then what? said the squire. Then what? exclaimed the old settler. Then that bar, of course. That's what ailed him. It's plain enough that there's natural gas on the groaner place, and that it leaks out in the ground in deep rock gully. When that bar tumbled to the bottom that day, he fell on his face. He were hurt so that he couldn't get up. Of course, the gas didn't shut itself off, but kept on a leaking and shot up into the bar's mouth and down his throat. The unfortunate bar couldn't help himself, and by and by he were filled with gas like a balloon till he had to float, and away he sailed, up and up and up. When I fired at the bar, as he was floating toward the clouds, the linen on the bullet carried fire with it, and when the bullet tapped the bar's side, the burning linen sot it on fire, showing that there can't be no doubt about it being gas that the bar swallowed in Deep Rock Gully. So you see, squire, I want no liar, and the chances is all in favor of your seeing a balloon hoisted from gas right in your own bailiwick afore you turn up your toes. The squire gazed at the old settler in silent amazement for a minute or more. Then he threw up his hands and said, Well, I'll be darned. End of The Old Settler Recording by Ron Altman.